Straight out of the heart of Texas, here come the students of conflict, helping you become a better Malifaux player and reach the top of the podium, one game at a time. Welcome to Students of Conflict. We are Clay, Nick, and Doug. Hello. 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 And we are trying to become better Malifaux players, leveling up ourselves and hopefully leveling others up as well. We normally do that by interviewing top third players from the Lone Star Conference, playing in tournaments across the U.S. Though tonight we've got guests from all over. Woohoo! We're not trying to capture our guests' entire tournament journey. We just want to take an in-depth look at one game. What were the key decisions that these players made before the game, during the game, and now that they're looking back at the game, what were the things that they learned and that they can pass on to others? Our format is to interview guests all at once, just as soon as possible after the tournament, when it's all fresh in their minds. We can get some good cross-flow between the guests. But rather than publishing one long marathon podcast, we break it up, releasing one individual podcast per guest, helping people level up one game at a time. Today, we are speaking with Landon, Angel, and Carlo. It's the Pope here. How are you? Hi, guys. And it's your favorite Mexican. Mexican, not Mexican. Ahua! <laughs> these, these guys came in first, second, and third, respectively. And Carlo took home Iron Scorpius at the Lone Star Fodown Malifaux GT, held in Houston on 14 through 15 October. We're going to be releasing our discussions with them as episodes 11A through C. All right. So today we have Angel on the pod. Angel, welcome to the Students of Conflict. How are you today? Thank you. Good, tired. tired. Tired, but happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, tiring uh, is probably, I was born like this, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still recovering from that crazy night during yeah, the throwdown? Exactly. <laughs> That's a hell of a, hell of a uh, hangover, isn't it? Nah, um, it was not that bad. But yeah, but welcome to the podcast. Um, one of the first things we like to ask uh, uh, all of our first-time guests is uh, a little bit about your gaming background and how'd you get into Malifaux? So I think my gaming background started because I, when I was in elementary school, I had a rich friend and his father, like they live in a castle that for me was fucking Hogwarts, okay? And they live in a, <laughs> so the father of my friend, who was a really nice guy, he had like a whole room with a table that was like four to five meters long to play miniature games was playing mostly mm. Warhammer. And he had another room just to paint them and collected them. So imagine how big the fucking place was. So that's wow. what I was like. Oh my God. First of all, I want to be rich. And second, I want to play miniature games. I was like <laughs> 10 years old or 9 years old, something like that. Then I saw the prices. And I was like, well, I cannot afford this shit. Uh, but slowly, a couple of years after, I started working and... Well, couple more than a couple right six years after or so i started working started to have my own money started to buy into some warhammer at the time i think it was like fifth edition or something like that mm -hmm. wood elves and that's how it started then also i don't know if you guys know the game miniature game infinity oh yeah so that's done like 50 kilometers away from where i lived oh it's, wow it's from spain that game yeah. is spanish sign from the northwest yeah like a, how I like to call it, like right now, like Atlantic Northwest. So I was involved in Infinity Alpha and stuff like that, right? Because I, I had, I moved to university and university, there was this uh, nerd store I used to go and they had like written down notes. The Bostria was there and yeah, we, he shared notes. We, we basically play tested the game kind of there. And I played Infinity for a while, a little bit of Warhammer. And then I have a friend that he opened his own store that I made actually there playing Infinity. And I play, he introduced it to Malifaux. He opened his store, bought a bunch of product, and he wanted to try alternative stuff. So he had Malifaux first edition, well, 1.5. Oh, wow. And it was really, I mean, when they when I played, they, made, they did a demo, and I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, so cool, right? And they lent me a, a crew a couple of times, but this friend of mine had this store in another city. So I just played, and that was the only store I knew that had Malifaux. So I just played like a couple of games, and every time I was going to pay him a visit, uh, I would play some Malifaux, just for fun. And 
that's when I started to play Malifaux. And then with second edition and Lady Justice box, I dive into it. I bought my first box that I bought. It was Lady Justice. I think I played one game. I didn't like her at all. And I built Sarnia the next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like one month after that, I bought like three Bayou Cruise and that was my, that, that was it. That was it for me. When I bought that was it. Ophelia, Summer and Wong, it was like, this is it. This is like, you're not moving from here now. This is amazing. <laughs> that That's the moment that this became my main game when I bought Bayou. He, he, he heard the call of the Bayou at that point. Exactly. Yeah. The names of the triggers, the names of the attacks, the abilities, the crazy things that could happen. I mean, I will never Wait, play what? second you edition. Like the triggers again? on bio models? Yeah. On second edition? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. That's it's a good thing that you like them because sometimes you don't have a choice and have to declare one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I still have memories of Francois's trigger from 2e that oh, did like double damage or whatever. Eight? I mean, the amount of, of stuff that Frank could get away with by just abusing the rules. In second edition, I mean, it's dumb luck that they let that model exist the way it was. <laughs> then the place where I came from, it was it's a really remote area, so we didn't have a meta or anything, or not even tournaments. We will just have like, we basically have a club, like group, a bunch of friends. We just like rented a place, mm-hmm. like forever, and we put there. We left there our miniatures. We built some tables, and we were playing there. The, the club still exists, actually. I'm still an honorary member. I was member number six. Oh, wow. That's the coolest thing I think I've ever heard in my that life. That is super cool. Yeah. It's awesome. I, it was great because we bought one of the first things we bought was a fridge where we could put beers and drink <laughs> while we were playing. Things <laughs> 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 that you Priorities. cannot do at a regular store. So, uh, yeah, that's how everything started. That became my main game. And then I started to play a little bit more competitive when I moved to Canada. Gotcha. Because okay. there was no Malifaux meta at all, almost. But there were a lot of people that had models and they were interested and stuff like that. So I kind of became the TO in Montreal. So I was organizing like events, almost every, events every month and then tournaments every two months. Basically, at the beginning, we were like four or five people. Then eight then 10 then 12 then we reached like up double digits regularly and it was pretty nice wow and only yeah, some that... of them were pigs yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well that's fantastic so uh we'll roll into our icebreaker question we already know that you came down to the lone star gt and uh, did pretty well so what we want to know is what was your favorite non-gaming moment from the tournament my favorite non-gaming mod moment has a name and it's called Brandon. That was my favorite <laughs> non-gaming oh mod. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so if you are listening to this, Brandon, I love you. Yeah, Brandon same, from- bro. I had fun. I've been watching Danger Planet for a while, and is that the Brandon you're talking about? First of all, yeah, Danger Planet. He's not just a person; he's a moment. Oh my yeah. god! I, I love Brandon. Brandon, you're the best. Come back Brandon to Texas. Was- we miss you already was my moment and the tq the triple t the thirsty texan that was also my favorite moment oh the pub next to dragon's yeah. <laughs> i went friday and i went saturday and i left sunday <laughs> oh man how's your liver feeling Nah, just having good <laughs> memories of my twenties now. <laughs> See, he's from he's from Spain. They're used to drinking up there. That's true. Fantastic. Yeah, they had a shower of booze, I'm sure. Brandon, I think, was back maybe ten minutes before round started, from what I recall, talking to Jesse. And then he's like, Oh shit, I have to go play Malifaux? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> He was. I, I'm gonna say the seniors. Usually I say the scene, but not the seniors. But he was like Tom from uh, Alberta, a great great folk that also went down there. Corey from the Pacific Northwest. That was the guy that fucking stabbed me in the back. He forced me and kidnapped me to stay. I was like, guys, I'm going three o. I think I'm gonna go back to the hotel. So bye. This was like one thirty or something like that. 
I'm gonna say I and he comes close to me and tells me I didn't expect this for you. And fast forward oh. one, hour, <laughs> one hour and a half later, I, I reached to my room. I don't know how. Uh, listen, yeah. your pressure is, is real. Look, yeah. I, all I'm saying is I went 6-0 and didn't stay up drinking until 4 a.m. You went 5-1 and were out until I don't know how long, which is really more impressive. I don't know. Could have been a little bit more. In the end, I, I threw a smoke bomb just before. When they turn on the lights, basically. I, I said, like, I'm going to the bathroom. Give, be right back. Never went back. But they had to kick them out. Like, guys, please leave. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, sounds good. So we'll roll into the tournament. Um, what round are we going to be talking about and why? Round five. And Ooh. the why is because round four... I didn't know what which round Carlo was going to talk about. And I don't want to say, like, fucking Carlo, round four, he broke my ass, and now I win because of him, and motherfucker, he didn't even have the red joker in his deck. Uh, but hey, 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 but I, my black jokers in that game counted as red jokers, at yeah, least. Twice. <laughs> at least twice. That I recall, that game is recorded, so we, we could go and check, but at least there were two black red jokers, thanks to the hang. Yeah, that I think that was the thing that tricked you into thinking that maybe you still had a red joker. <laughs> oh. no. Don't worry, you didn't. Maybe you didn't do that, but that's the game. The game that I'm talking about is where I got my ass kicked. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I went for game five because it was like a very weird game, and I think there are some really good lessons we can learn from it. Fantastic. So you. Came down to Houston uh, for our GT. Uh, again, thank you for coming down. And uh, your whole group that came down was fantastic as well. That's the group that adopted me. So huge oh. thanks to all of them. Yeah. Today I was supposed to play Gaining Grounds 4 with my local meta here in Vancouver. But we are not really good at organizing tournaments because we don't have our own like we don't have a good space and most of the people like work on the weekends or have like other duties on the weekends like family children and that kind of things so it's very difficult for us to organize anything but every time that we can me and another guy jamie we just get the car cross the border we get to stop because he's canadian but at the eyes of the u.s government border agents i'm mexican <laughs> I speak Spanish, so I know it. I had to stop there, get out of the car, get the car gets searched, and I had to give my prints every single time. Oh. As a Mexican, uh, and having met you in person, we will accept you. Okay, I'm a white Mexican <laughs> then. <laughs> so, what faction did you wind up playing uh, for this tournament, and why? Bayou, the why. Honestly, I don't know. I went. I didn't know what to play. I play most factions, except Sanders and Spurs Society, but I don't play like all the masters in a single faction. I just play the ones I... This, look, this one looks cool. This one has this thing. This one is like, oh, cowboys, nice. Oh, cow dead people, nice. <laughs> the professor with the students that has a radio podcast kind of thing. Nice. That's me. I, I think I have a knows ADHD, but that's another topic. That's so, another topic, yeah. Uh, Bayou kind of like, I had, the good thing of Bayou is like, I painted almost every model I have from Bayou. And now Which, I give by my, the way, amazing job. Now I give most of my models to paint to, to a friend of mine, because I don't have the time, neither the skill anymore. And... Bayou is kind of my my safe pick, and then I went to Longshan just before, like the day before taking the plane. Actually, like nine hours before taking the plane, and said so like, which is the least, which ones are the least represented factions? And I have the models to play, and I have to like say like, okay, I'm gonna be missing like, for example, for Arcanist, I'm missing a couple of models that are key. Like for Mayfang, I'm missing half of the keyword, and I only play three masters in Arcanist. And I was like. Oh, Bayou is one of the least represented factions. So I'll play Bayou. It's my, it's my comfort pick. I have like shit ton of models from Bayou. I think like except the two keywords I don't play, I have every other model. Wow. Okay. That's an awesome way to uh, approach it. Yeah, that, that's pretty I, uh, I pretty hate great. mirror matches, first of all. I truly hate them. And second, I always like to just go and play like the least represented faction. I just like that because 
Don't like, we all hate mirror matches? We all hate to beat up ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, did you consider uh, Iron Scorpius for this uh, event? I'm going to uh, be 100% honest. I didn't read the player pack. <laughs> oh, he almost got just... to spit his beer out. That's awesome. <laughs> I just asked Ambrose, like, hey, I, I didn't even know it was six rounds until I was playing second round, basically. <laughs> Thank God I, I asked Ambrose, like, if I needed to know something. And he just sent me, like, if you want to order food, this is the link. I was like, great. <laughs> Ambrose got his priorities right. Exactly. That's right. Uh, well, fantastic. So, yeah, that was it. Gotcha. So, for round five, uh, who'd you play into? I play against Pete from Rage Quick Wire. It was the first time we were playing, I think. And fantastic. he was playing Sandeep 2. Sandeep 2. Okay. And then what, what master did you uh, choose for this uh, round and why, based on the schemes and strats? Brewmaster 1. The why is because it was a standard deployment cover-ups. So it's like, well, I don't have to cross the center line, so that's okay for Brewmaster 1. I can fight in the middle. There was not that much concealment or severe terrain, so that's also good because Brewmaster models are slow. And okay. then... I I really wanted to play Brewmaster in round four, but fucking Noble told me like, you better win, you are three O, play your safe your safe pick. So I played Ma because I think that Ma is a great master overall. And I was like, well now I wanna play Brewmaster, so I wanna just play Brewmaster because I wanna play Brewmaster. And I think that Brewmaster one is well or used to be a semi-decent competitive master in gaining grounds three. So I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll play Brewmaster 1. It's what I want to play. I don't want to overthink it too much. I just recovered from the... It was like, Carlo made me recover from the hangover, so I was like... <laughs> but I was not still 100%, much. so I was like... Gave let's just play, just play something that, you know, I play like a bazillion times, and I know... Very simple activations. There is no big brain plays. It's just like walk, walk, charge, uh, lure, lure, charge. Just like there are a couple of like options there, but it's a really simple diagram that you're like follow. <laughs> if things go your way, good. If they don't go your way, well, another game. Yeah, absolutely. You had a decision chart already built in your head on on how to react and everything else. And that exactly. makes total sense. Absolutely. Um, so when Pete declared uh, Arcanist and then inevitably Sandeep 2, um, did that impact your crew makeup and how you were going to uh, tackle this game? Or did you kind of go in with that set crew, like, this is what I can execute uh, with minimal uh, deep diving and thinking in, de in the decisions? No, actually, it impacted it. I don't want to say a lot because sadly, Brewmaster 1 doesn't have that much flexibility on what he needs to play. But I remember that there was load the map in the pool, and which was going to be very easy for Sandeep, either version. And I was actually expecting Sandeep 2. Because people are like, oh, Sandeep 1 is terrible, which I don't think so, especially for cover-outs, because summons count. But uh, Sandeep 2 is very, it's a quite a strong master overall. And people, it's like kind of the new hotness of Arcanist. So I was like, yeah, you know, if it's Sandeep, Two, he's gonna probably do the Sandeep opening, let's call it like that, which is like wait until the end, Sandeep goes, sets things on fire, drops three, two, two, yeah. pass one bazillion duels. And I was like, ah, what I'm gonna do is just like walk, walk, charge. You know, it's in my diagram, so it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be A or B. You, so, Angel, what you're saying is that you follow the kiss rule. What's the kiss rule? Keep it simple, stupid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Basically, <laughs> yeah. L literally. So, regarding my list, I was like, okay, big shockwaves that are like fucking horrible and uh, unavoidable. One thing that I took into account is like the table was awful, Doug. That table was awful. I had literally only one place to deploy the whiskey golem so it could fit his base. Which table was it? Uh, it's there on the document. I, it had like Pete sent me into peaceful graveyard. Pete sent me into the bottom I see one. What this is. is it the one with all the tombstones in it? 
Yeah, and he okay. was on the tombstone side, and I was on the opposite one. So I, it was like I either deployed the golem like in a forest behind the forest kind of thing. <laughs> oh no! And I'm fucked either or because he's gonna take two <laughs> walks just to cross that small little patch of forest, <laughs> or he goes there in the corner. And he's like, well, he'll go there in the corner. Fuck it. And and then I wanted models that could survive the shockwaves. I was thinking, okay, let's just bring like the the monks because they have technically armor too and models that could heal themselves pretty easily like monks as well they heal with a five and they push one inch you're talking about fermented river yeah the only monks brewmaster can bring fair enough and no but yeah it's good clarification and so my options were like yeah let's just bring like keyword models that can do their their thing they are tanky enough so they don't die too easily and then I like Tanukis because, you know, Tanuki is an animal with huge balls. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that they, they do have playing brewmaster. Most people don't like them, but no, it's a, it's a little tiny raccoon with huge balls that likes to get it's drunk. True, so it's it was true. Like, it's it's a ballsy pick. <laughs> it's cute. I just deploy him like very far away because every time I play a Tanuki, they die turn two. I don't know why people hate them that much. So I, I, it was literally almost at the border of the table, like full motive motivating people, like, hey, you! <laughs> I hate Move them forward, because they do die turn two. Yeah. I, to say, I, think, I think Landon has on the record said that he hates Tanukis. <laughs> Everyone's sure. just jealous of their pendulous uh, testicles. Exactly. Uh, I mean, how could you not be? Speaking of giants, <laughs> did you consider Alphonse at all for this matchup, just based on what you were talking about? You know, he, he has that blast resistance to keep him healthy from shockwaves. Like, which one? Who? Alphonse LeBlanc. No, I didn't consider him. I don't know. I don't like to... I like to play in keyword that keeps things a little bit thematic. So the only, like, non-keyword pick I brought it was Gluttony, because there was low the map. And I know that Gluttony can ruin the Metal Golem day. Like Metal Golem likes to teleport and not walk, right? Okay. So I could say, hey, Metal Golem, just go into the scrap and eat it and take one sad damage. But at least you don't teleport. You walk like a normal human being. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know what? Fuck it. He'll, I'll put this one. This guy there. I consider bringing the emissary for the same reasons, but he couldn't roll in that table. So I was like, it's enough with one big base. So Whiskey Golem, because he's an, always you have to bring him. 12 cups of coffee in Brewmaster because you always need to put that upgrade in Brewmaster. Two monks so they can have fun and drink together with fingers. Fingers because skin marker shenanigans and it's a tough model. Yeah, and fingers is one of the coolest models in that keyword. I love fingers. And it has this thing that with Brewmaster too, he can draw a shit ton of cards. Especially when he doesn't get obeyed, which happened to me once with John Law and my opponent draw like 20 cards in one activation. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. And, uh, but with Brewmaster one, it gives you like those, like, he's not going to draw you more than five cards the whole game, which is what a Terracotta will draw you along a whole, uh, across a whole game, like for less than half of the points. But he can draw you those five cards turn two, which is a very key turn if you want to keep Brewmaster alive and Brewmaster killing something. So, I found that that was a good play there. And I had a Tanuki totem because it comes for free and the two two monks. I think that was it. Fantastic. So with the uh, scheme pool being assassinate, catch and release, load them up, public demo, and in your face, uh, what two did you uh, select and uh, did you anticipate based on Pete's picks what he might be going after? So I imagine that he was taking load them up because golems and stuff. For me, it was like, loading up is not a possibility. Public demonstration is not a possibility. Catch and release, that I can do. Assassinate, I need to kill the motherfucker. And in, uh, in your face, it was going to depend on which models would he bring, but I was expecting one or two golems. So I was like, ah, I can do that, probably. So I was like between those three schemes. I knew that my schemes were going to be like pretty telegraphed, but I was going to play for the better flips, I guess. I was just going to cross my fingers and pray, basically. If things go my way, 
maybe I'll have that chance there. Gotcha. Yeah. And and to clarify, Pete did bring two golems, so you definitely had that option there. Uh, he had Sandeep 2, Banasuva with Soulstone Cash, uh, uh, Shastar Vidya Guard. I thought that was a typo, but it's there with Magical Training. Uh, four Winds Golem with Soulstone Cash, Metal Golem. He had three golems, Fire Golem, and then two Soulstone Miners. So that is a beefy list. It was a Fire Gammon. Oh, it was a Gammon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A different typo. Which golems? Metal and wind golem. Wind, yeah. okay. Yeah. Four four wins, right? Yeah, yep. four wins. God, that model's so good. Yeah. Really Jeez. good. So uh during the game, Angel, uh how did how did it plan out? Did you did everything go as planned? Um did you recover from your hangover midway through and then lights came on and started reacting? I mean, what, what was the outcome of the, of the game and any interesting lines of play worth mentioning? So I've things turn one and two things went better than I would have expected. He was technically playing with two soul stones only because soul stone miners are the thing. He was like, I'm playing with zero. I was like, well, come on. Technically, you're playing with two. <laughs> because you're like, turn one. Your first two activations is like, concentrate getting a soul stone and bury. So I I didn't know what I was... I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to play very reactive, see what he, he was doing. He was going to throw some deep or not. So I tried to spread my models a little bit, but like, keeping the poison party going because Brewmaster needs at least six poison, I would say, and you want at least 10, 12 on fingers and a couple in the monks. A couple just like they are, they can sank a couple of attacks on themselves before dying at least, or the opponent really needs to have a couple of lucky flips. So on my favor, I had a terrible hand. I think every, every card was below six. And a 13, which it was great because I was like, a 13 is pretty nice, especially if I keep it for next turn. I knew that Sandeep was his willpower 7, so I'm at stat disadvantage. So basically, it's going to be like, if I'm going to I'm gonna go last with Master and see if I can use this 13 to either punch him or lure him, right? One of the two. And let's see what happens. So we play our game. We did more or less what the other was expecting. I played very safely with the Whiskey Golem. And then I won initiative. And he was the... I forced him to go first, of course. And then he activated... When he activates some deep, finally, he does what he was expected. He already moved up the board. I don't know if he tossed himself or something like that. And then... <clears throat> He put it at a safe distance in the sense like I needed to walk twice and then charge to hit him. And then he did the shock with him, right? He was like, shock with stuff, yada, yada, yada. Since I already flipped like a shit ton of like bad cards, actually, I passed most of the shock waves, so they were not that impactful. Okay. And I think I had to pass like eight between... I don't remember the number exactly, but I would say something between eight and ten simple duels, and I think I failed like two or three only, and most oh, wow. of them in fingers. So I was like, I don't care about that guy. He's he's staying there for now, and I have some soul stones to save him after if I really need to. And then with Brewmaster, he I, I rem if I remember this correctly, he just ate like ski marker to gain a focus, and he. And he had focus too, and then he tried to lure. He walked because uh, he was not in range for the first lure. So he walked. And what I will say is like, I was actually paying quite a lot of attention to which cards he was cheating to pass the ends and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And he had like two cards left in hand or something like that. And I knew that at least one of those cards was a high card, like at least a 10 or something like that. And the other one was probably very low. It was one of them was definitely below five, that's for sure, and the other one must be definitely above nine. That I remember, and so I tried to lure a Sandeep who was in the bent Timora or something like that, and I win the the flip from from the flip right. So it was great because he had to actually cheat the thirteen that he had in hand. It was actually thirteen, goes oh, to wow. twenty. I cannot get some deep close. So then I just 
lure him again, use a soul stone to give him poison. And now I know he doesn't have a high card in hand, so it basically depends on what we flip. And we flip and I win the duel again from the flip. So I don't oh, even wow. have to use my 13. Clutch. That's so I was like, well, great, I have the 13 for next turn. I discard the other garbage, turn two, and I use soul stones to stone for cards. And after that, I have, I think, seven low cards in my discard pile. And I haven't seen the Black Joker yet, but I have like three. I know I have two thirteens in hand, and the rest of cards didn't matter, but they were like moderates. There was no other figure, but I was like, if I win initiative, I can spend one thirteen to win initiative, another thirteen to smack and deep, and then just like kill him if I have the cards because I'll be at a plus three stat advantage against him. So what I did was just charge him. I hit the first attack because I was already at plus one stat. Then I became a plus three stat over him. So I just hit him one more and then I did a blood poisoning and kill some deep. He didn't have good cards. So first activation turn two, I kill some deep. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. I, was... I did not expect you to say that. The only time that I've beat Sandeep is when I was aggressive like that and killed him at the top of two. Because once you if you can if you can manage that. It's a huge advantage against that group, particularly. Yeah. I mean, the end result was not that far, and we were fighting literally until the turn five. Turn five, I think the game was decided on my own. It was either a tie or a win for me. He couldn't win at that point. But we were like fighting until the last three activations to see who will, if we were tying or I was winning. That, those oh, are the wow. best games. Yeah, which is yeah. pretty impressive, right? Like, one of the things I wanted to talk about, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this game is, like, he lost his master after a single activation. <laughs> he only got one activation out of Sandeep, which he wasn't that impactful. And he is still worth, he was still fighting for the game until turn five. At least for a tie. Absolutely. Yeah, kudos to Pete in that regard. <laughs> that can be backbreaking. For sure. And just as a plug for Pete, that uh, if y'all aren't listening to Rage Quit Wire, you ought to give them a listen to as well. So. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that definitely underlines uh, something we brought up with uh, Landon earlier is, which I mean, t- technically that was a previous episode. So go back and listen to our episode with Landon. But sticking it out that a lot of times you lose your uh, master that early in a game it's just going to tilt you and you're just like, ah, fuck it. Might as well just scoop and say, fuck it. But it sounds like he really stuck it out and gave you a run for your money with that one. Yeah. He killed my Tanuki. (laughs) 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 Turn two. Yeah. Right. It's probably, it's probably the ball envy. So Angel, what was the outcome of the game? I think we know you, you won this round, but what was the score and how did that break out? I think it was seven, five for me. I, made all the points except assassinate because I killed Sandeep. I, I didn't want to, I was like, well, I'm not letting this this guy live, right? It's if I let him live, like many things yeah. can happen. I don't know how the game is going to end. Like I kill him, I get activation control that he just recovered by killing the Tanuki. God bless his soul. <laughs> and died for the cause. Died for the cause, exactly. Poor one out for him. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, 7-5, so I score everything by one point of assassinate. I denied him one point of cover ops. He had loading up, which he couldn't score. So he scored three points of loading, a, a, the strategy of cover ops, and two points. I think it was catch and release that was on the pool, right? On the Shadasta Vidigio uh, card. Yeah, catch and release. I tried my best. There was no way to kill that guy with the counter spell and everything. It was catch really him. tricky to, to kill him. Very underrated model in that crew. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not an amazing model, but I think it's a solid model, especially with magical training. Yeah, of course, because you have to have it on a living model now, right, for it to work. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, Angel, uh, based on the the game, what was your MVP model and why? Well, I think the MVP was definitely Brewmaster. Not the Tanuki? Not the, I mean, the Tanuki <laughs> did give... The two focus to Brewmaster, one by dropping a skin marker and another one like this full mode motivation. So Brewmaster could actually lure like the Tanuki was the enable of that play. Okay? Yeah, yeah, he gets okay. the assist, but he gets uh, the assist okay. on it. 
got the assist on the kill, exactly. <laughs> he, he did, honestly, he did the three things. He gave two poison to Brewmaster to one. He gave him focus, and he dropped another skin marker so Brewmaster could eat it with 12 casts of coffee to gain the other focus, the two focus I needed to not spend soulstones and be able to lure through the bent steam thingy, concealment. So, I, I'll have to agree. Tanuki MVP. <laughs> Only Take needed one landing. activation, one activation, <laughs> some deep depth, thanks to the Tanuki. All the Tanuki, yep, carrying his weight. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I wanted to ask about, you'd mentioned in one of the notes, or maybe on Discord or something, but about uh, Whiskey Golem, you almost completely messed that up. Can you tell us that story? I, l- I love hearing the close runs that you were able to pull out, you know? So I, I was like, when I pedest, I just killed Sandeep too. So I was like, wow, I, this game is just like, it's not one yet. Many things can happen, but it's heavily decided on my favor. I just guaranteed a point there. And my opponent has no master. So then at some point during that turn, there is a soulstone miner that pops next to my whiskey golem just to engage him so he cannot go and claim a marker, right? I was like, ha! A soulstone miner? Please, bitch! I'm just gonna destroy your soulstone miner and just walk to my marker. And I had like, uh, I drew cards with fingers because I burned my whole hand with Brewmaster. And I had like, I don't know if it was a 10 of mass or something like that to go for the onslaught trigger and kill the and try to kill the Soulstone Miner. Yeah. And he just flips better. I I fail the attack. I cannot even if I cheat the tank, it's not gonna hit him. I'm like, oh shit, I wasn't counting on this. Then I was like, did I actually measure if I can disengage enough and just walk with the nimble and get within the two inches? And he, this is like the thanks Pete that it was very close. One of those measures that on a table, right? I check with him and it's like, well, first of all, if I fucking fucked up the disengage, I'm not scoring that turn, the strategy. And second, just because I didn't disengage first, which was stupid. And second, it was really like quite close on the measurement side. He and he failed the the disengage, so I could push the fu- the full five, and then I had another five to walk, and. It was one of those cases I, I I just put the rule on top. It's like two inches. Is it in or is it out? It's your call because it's very close. Measurements here are not precision. I haven't eaten anything. My stomach is empty and my intestines as well. And I'm like shaky here still <laughs> because of Brandon. I'm going to blame it all on Brandon now. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he told me like, yeah, yeah, you're good. No worries, you know. Tip of the hat to him there. But yeah, yeah. measure the disengage. Don't get too cocky with the big models, trying yeah. to crush the small models. Great lessons for those of us towards the bottom tables. Kind of things went your way, and then I, I kind of got cocky. They're like, ah, yeah, I'll just, just defense five, armor one, but whatever. A couple of them attacks here, and I'm going to blow it out to the space. But, you know, <laughs> didn't happen. So. And then I had another moment that was the game that was also curious, that we both had a choice at some point. It was like, why either deny the other one one point and trying to score it some other way? And we, like, there, his soulstone miner and my gluttony will just look at each other saying like, I'm claiming, I'm claiming this. Are you claiming this as well? Okay, peace. <laughs> Let's make a truce. <laughs> Nobody's engaging anybody. We just stay here. We don't hit each other. Truce. <laughs> we cool, bro? We cool? We cool? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We could claim in this? Okay. And then after they claim it, it was like a pillow fight, you know? Like, I hit you for one damage. I don't hit you because you're manipulative. And they spent like the whole fucking game there. Oh, that's hilarious. They became good friends. Yeah. Those were the two interesting moments. And then I had a feel bad moment that I call out that I, I was hitting. This could have changed only. It was a one point swing for him that I staggered his fire gaming so he couldn't reach with one of my fermented river mons, so he couldn't reach the marker. And he didn't realize that the the attack would also give a stagger because he didn't hear me properly. And he actually had the card to cheat and prevent it. But he was like telling me this after everything. I was like, do you want me to edit it? I was like, no, 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 it's, it's good. I will have done something different. It's fine. But yeah. So in the end, you know, he lost his master after one single activation of his master, and it could have perfectly be a 7-6. Gotcha. 
And his or your favorite? My favorite. Okay. All right. So game's over. You've got the win. Um, now we're going to try to educate some of our viewers and some of our hosts. The... I'm not landing here, okay? That's why I play Bayou. I embrace cows and flip cards and pray to the grandfather of Yu-Gi-Oh that he smiles at <laughs> me from the sky. <laughs> nice. Well, we'll have to join that religion then because uh, if that's what it takes, we're happy to jump on board. Um, As a side, there was one game that we were playing in a tournament in Bellingham that I just told with my friend Jamie that drives with me and he's like, fucking hell, I don't know what I'm doing, but is, this isn't working. I don't know if I'm going to manage to score, get a win or anything, but it's like, Jamie, stay calm, just flip better. And just he flip did. Great advice. In the middle of the game, he yells at me from the other table, Uncle, I'm flipping better and it's working. <laughs> <laughs> and and his opponent. Yeah, he like literally won 99 out of 10 duels out of deck. Like I was flipping an 11, he oh, was wow. flipping a 12. Stuff well, like that. he just needed the captain's blessing, man. Yeah, exactly. there you go. That's what it is, for sure. Top tier so advice for, brought to you by Students Conflict. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Trademarked. Just flip better. Students of Conflict. Just flip better. Putting that on a shirt. <laughs> Love it. All right. So for the bottom third players that are really getting their feet wet in Malifaux, and uh, uh, we could either gear this towards Brewmaster or Bayou as a faction, because there's a lot of underlying themes that Bayou has that and options that, We'll catch you off guard. So I'll let you decide how you want to approach this. But uh, uh, any advice for the bottom third players uh, uh, facing you while playing Bayou? Like most of the masters I play are very vulnerable to guns. So just bring guns. Or Misaki as a second master. I really don't know how to deal with her. <laughs> that That's if you're playing against me. If they are playing, if they are just getting their, if you're just starting Malifaux, they're starting like to get the reps and, and play and go to tournaments and events. I will say, like, learn from Pit. You sometimes you lose your master. Just try to keep your uh, head in a good space and see, like, okay, this happened. There's nothing I can do about that now. How can I come back from this, right? Which is what Pit did, and he did it very well. He like, I was against the ropes the whole game. When I thought that I was like, oh, from now on, it should be an easy game for me. It definitely wasn't. He did everything he could to make it that it it wasn't. And so that that will be it. And if they are playing Bayou, I would say just play Matak. It is just so forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> or Sip. Or Sip, you know? Yeah. If they are starting and you're playing Bayou. Those are the two masters that I consider that are the best. Gotcha. And they are not because they are the best, but because they are very forgiving on what they do. If you make mistakes, they you can always kind of recover from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's good advice. Um with Brewmaster in uh, particular, uh, are there any gotcha moments? What are some of the worst gotcha moments that usually you have to learn the hard way that we might be able to warn some of these newer players? Like the first time any of us encountered the Pigapult, right? That was a moment that I will never forget and 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 will make sure I learn from that. What What does Brewmaster bring that people need to look out for? So you need to realize that once you get close to Brewmaster, it's very difficult to get out because he's always, if the other player knows what he's doing, he's always bringing 12 cups of coffee. So I would say just feed a model to Brewmaster every turn. He's going to just kill him, but that this is going to be the model you pick. Don't let Brewmaster have the choice. That's the that's the key. To Brewmaster is a murdering machine. Brewmaster 1 is a murdering machine, but he can only murder one model per turn. And he needs to do the setup to murder the model first. So it's not that easy. My brewmaster in that game, he murders and deep across two turns. And then he did manage to murder the four wins golem. But because he already had some damage into it, he was like just above half health or something like that. And then he didn't manage to hit a single other like flying deck the whole game. So okay. I just play him like, okay, I'm not attacking, I'm failing, so I'm just going to lure my model so he can go and score points instead. But I would say with Brewmaster, just be careful with the lure, which is just a stat 6 lure. Uh, don't underestimate his defensive trigger. And if you think you can kill him, just go for it, because if you put pressure on him, he dies. That's great advice. 
Appreciate that. I would say Brewmaster 2 was the new hotness in Bayou for a long time. So props to Angel for actually playing Brewmaster 1. Because I haven't seen Brewmaster 1 on the table in such a long time. And I've always thought that there was sauce to unpack there. So I think some pretty good advice is to learn both versions of the Master, no matter how bad somebody tells you one version of them is. Yeah. And if you want to play Keyword, even some people tell you, like, it's not the most competitive thing. If you really know what you are doing or you want to do and you want to enable your plan, like my diagram with basically two options there, like option R, option B, if they go well, okay. If they don't go well, fuck it. <laughs> this is probably lost. <laughs> uh, just do it. it. It's fine. Sometimes you don't have to play them the super hotness. Also, Brewmaster 2 was fucking bananas before and he got nerfed, in my opinion, pretty hard. It's not unplayable yeah. or anything like that now. But it's not like the crazy bananas. Jesus Christ, he was, was so good when it came out. <laughs> oh my God. I remember playing the first time against Brewmaster 2 and it was against John Mosier. And he had a, a <laughs> he had a whiteboard to keep track of all of the poison ticks. I was like, I was like, okay, this is serious. He still brings that to tournaments. Oh, yeah. It sounds like you're talking about though that it all comes back to fundies, and yeah. you know you gotta you gotta have your fundies down. You can play whatever the fuck you want if you got your fundies. Yeah, of course. It's Brewmaster one or Brewmaster two. You were saying it before, and I agree a lot. Like, I'm not a, like a big brain player, and just embrace chaos and just hope for the best most of the time. That's my game plan, ninety five percent of the time. But one thing that is true is like by playing online during COVID. And by playing now, I go to the Pacific Northwest whenever I have the chance. Actually, tomorrow I'm going to buy a card just to go there more often and play more with them. Nice. Nice. And it's like once your fundamentals are clear, you can make and you know how things work and what's important and decision points, what you should be doing. It's the game just like kind of clicks, right? And maybe you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're playing Brewmaster 1, let's put an example. But if your fundamentals are there and then you get a little bit of luck, you can defeat even Damian 1. Of course. Well, I mean, and if you know your crew inside and out, upside down, yeah, 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 that's key. you know exactly what you can do when you've got to, you know, rally against, oh, I lost my master early. Cool. I know what I can do with everything. Mm-hmm. And having that ability to rally and know your crew inside and out gives you an advantage over someone who is, you know, trying out the new hotness, but doesn't have the reps in with it. Yeah. And also knowing what your opponent's bringing. I didn't know Sandeep Chu that much. I only played one game against him. But I knew the rest of the, the crew, like, a lot because I played against Sandeep Wang a bazillion of times because there was a Spanish player that was playing him a lot. And then I was just like, you know what? I just need to eliminate off the equation the model I don't know, Sandeep Chu. So I just did that work, and the rest went, I know how they work. <laughs> that always works, right? Oh, if your opponent brilliant. has no models, he can't play, right? You said something really important there that I think I forgot to say in my episode as far as just, like, advice I have for players that are trying to get better. And that's just, just like, learn what everything fucking does. Like, no way, uh, not for real. Carlo, Carlo can tell you, you know, firsthand experience from our game. That one of the things that I do is I just know what everything does. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you can keep track of what your opponent's doing so much better when you can just, like, he pulls up his activation. He's like, I'm going to go with librarian. You're like, I know what you're doing before you even say it. <laughs> you know? So just having a good idea of what actions your opponent can take in a game really helps. And you don't need to memorize everything. But sometimes I like to say that Malifaux is the game of, like, playing Sherlock Holmes. And you just need to ask the right questions. So if you, of course, sometimes some people doesn't ask the questions because they don't want to give up their strategy or their tactics or their like secret mission ahead. Like they want to ask, do you have a way to move my model with a lure or a push and a trigger or something like that on this model? And you are saying that, and maybe you have I don't know, claim jump, right? But what is it better to give out that you have claim jump or to get surprised before when they move your model and they deny your point of claim jump? For sure. Fair enough. That's true. Very yeah. true. And knowing what the opponent can do, I just lost a game in the last uh, online tournament in Basel because I didn't know that Tiris told him. First of all, I didn't know he moved that much, but I didn't know that he will ignore armor and get plus one damage on the yeah, attack. It depends on what what uh, 
I call it I call it butthole or cross. It depends on which one it is. <laughs> so we, uh, I was like, we went with hashtag and asterisk. I think, but yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, you whatever. Go. So I was I, I I thought I had this model with armor two perfectly safe. They're blocking a charge lane or something like that, and he's gonna score me a point at the end of the turn. And he just charge. He's like, oh, I ignore armor. I have plus one damage. And I was like, hold on, what? I thought it was Let's like start. two, three, four only. No, no, it's three, four, five. Ignoring armor is like yeah. Okay, you kill me on your lowest number. Number one, <laughs> number two. Don't forget, it has a shockwave that gives out stun, and it that it's significant. That totem yep. is so good; it's ridiculous. That I suffered it, so I really knew. <laughs> so I was like, this guy is just like the, the shockwave, right? Whatever, he's just there, like minding his business. But but it's really like about sometimes about asking the questions, like. Yeah, good stuff. Now for the middle third, I know that there was a lot going into the the bottom third, and it might have bled over into the middle. But any advice for people that are got the fundamentals down? They're they're getting their feet established, and they're they're diving into a crew, going against either you or by you. Any advice for them in this setting? I would say that just what exactly we were saying, like know your crew, know your opponent's crew. It will be the next step. Absolutely, it will be like. Know what your models can do perfectly. The, you're not going to put everything perfectly, but the better you know them, the more options that are going to open for you when you play. And the better you know your opponent crew or you are able to ask the right questions, because I think those like one compensates for the other one, because there are like, what, 100 models? You cannot know every model and every trigger on every of model. Of course. But if you are able to ask the right questions at the right time, uh, that that's what makes the difference there on the on the people that are starting there to to be a little bit more competitive and trying to fight into those tops and fight for for winning tournaments. The thing is like just the better you know your models and the better you know your opponent models, more things can go your way. Absolutely. Yeah, even if you think you know the answer, asking the question sometimes is just as important to make sure your opponent can double check your math on you almost. <laughs> And you can always you can always ask to see the card. RTFC is probably the most important piece of advice in any game. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask everybody here on this on this uh, call to get their pen and notepad ready because uh, I'm about to ask this question. Uh, Angel, how do we beat you um, at the next <laughs> tournament? Uh, but no, for for top third players, they they they've got their shit together. Um, uh, what's some advice for some of those players that are going into uh, uh, advanced play with either Brewmaster or or Bayou in general? Okay, now here I'll, I'll refer to those players to Landon because he's the one that knows how to actually play this game, Big Brain. That, that is true because it's honestly like I'm a Michael Scott of this game, okay? That's my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> my answer is is to play Jack Dot 2. Because Angel doesn't know what he does. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <I> <laughs> if, if you want to defeat me, just pick good vendetta targets. I can use a bushbacker and just kill the only bushbacker I feel turn turn one or turn two. Because it happened in two of my games. I was kind of big ball in having my game against Carlo. <laughs> I happen to be an authority in this matter. The first thing you do when you're going up to a, a Bayou player as an experienced player is you insist that they aren't playing a real faction. That always gets you a leg up immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're Angel. Although we did find one technique not to defeat Angel, and apparently taking him out and getting him shit-faced the night before is not the method that is a valid approach for a two-day tournament. He played Brewmaster. That's just fuel. Huh, yeah, yeah, number one. Number one. Number two, it, it doesn't help if you also drink heavily the night before. <laughs> yes. Good stuff. Well, we have a few questions from some of our listeners, uh, specifically Brian. He's been a frequent guest. Personal glitch on the Discord. He has two questions for you. I have a question for him. Why wasn't he there? Yeah, no, right? I was about to say that. It was his anniversary. Oh, okay. Fair enough. That's a good reason. Weakness disgusts me. He enjoys being married more than Malifaux, which should be most of us, but he has a reason to not do it. That's a fair that's a fair assessment. 
his question is is who was the best singer at karaoke night i, I don't know i was getting wasted no, that was <laughs> <laughs> ah. <sighs> all right well this is a two-parter so we'll we'll transition over to the second question here uh What's the best tournament you've ever been to, and why is it the Lone Star Fowdown in Houston? Okay, I, I I'm being honest. It is the Lone Star Fowdown in Houston. That's great. Hell yeah! I, you just need to give me like discount on the Thirsty Texan, and <laughs> no, there, there are a couple of things I would like to say though about the tournament and how we can improve. One is like organize an official dinner, either. Probably Friday before everybody's tired, you know, people can register paying advance and we can kind of get each other together, meet, have some, eat some like Texas barbecue or something, you know. Oh my God, that's a great idea. Great idea. Have some drinks, just chit chat, whatever. And then hopefully most of you will Doug go to bed and stay with Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other... awesome. I played against him at Gen Con and had a blast. Yeah, me too. It was my first game. And then he he paid me back that then that night. But the and the other thing that it's when you and I think I put this suggestion on the card that you gave us that and but I don't know if I I was too tired. I don't know if I gave it back to you or something. But when you set up the table and it's something that they start Ambrose started doing in the Pacific Northwest. When they're we're talking about corner deployment, so flank and and corner just define that it's only one side the one that can be picked so you either pick one side of the board or the other one but you cannot pick one side and one corner right yeah uh, i remember that from when i went up there for the uh railroad uh avenue rumble and i and i didn't think to do that on there and so that's definitely something that is uh on my list of things to do I think I said this, the same thing in one of the episodes that I was in because I think I had uh, leave your mark uh, as one of my schemes on that like giant skeleton board, um, and you normally put the middle like the rib cage of the skeleton in the middle of the board, and it's kind of like almost impossible to score that scheme there because you can't actually use like a quarter of the area to leave schemes in. Conveniently, that's not a scheme anymore. Yeah. <laughs> ha, 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 right? Right? Or skulls <laughs> on the center now. So I, I'm saying it because it allows one of the things I really like a lot and is creating more. You don't have to worry that much about that the scenery has to fit every deployment. So you can just create your table thinking that if this goes into a corner deployment, it's going to be this corner and that other corner, the one that they're going to use, a corner or a flank. And you, can, and you still can keep the theme of the table without worrying too much about, oh, every corner has to be available and stuff like that. That's fair. And then I got to say that uh, the other like tournament that I really enjoyed of Malifo was like the Six Nations in the UK, in Scotland, in Stirling last year. That was amazing. But I things that you did better it was the schedule was better it was also six games with you with your tournament i wish i still felt like sometimes i had to put the clock on me while i was still deploying so maybe five minutes more there would be better but i was less in a rush than there also there at the end i got sick because i was since i went to scotland i spent like seven days before the tournament just drinking I went there <laughs> and traveling. I went to Scotland last summer. I completely understand. When in Rome, sorry, Scotland. I went all around. I, we did a road trip with two friends. I forced two of my friends to meet me there, and we did a road trip just drinking whiskey, and then we, we, swam, we swam naked on the Loch Ness. Nice. Awesome. That's and fucking living life, man. I know. It was pretty nice. Uh, but, you know, your, I think your schedule was was better the dragon's lair is fucking amazing what a you great know, store base that you have is insane and then being able to buy beers directly there top notch so that's and they were not like ultra expensive or at least i don't want to check my credit card but they weren't they keep a very good price and they also try to keep their beer list very local most of their beers they have there are texas beers nice I really, I honestly, hands down, the best Malifaux tournament I've ever been. Oh, thank me you. clapping. 
Yeah, where's the soundboard for that, Doug? You got to have a round of applause. Oh, yeah. There you go. That'll work. That'll work. That's the Perdita 2 one, isn't it? Something like that, Nick. I don't know. That, that's just the uh, things being awesome. I don't know. Well, uh, you know, this is a good transition over for plugs and parting thoughts because I think we had uh, – I heard some good parting thoughts and, and plugs for, for Doug's tournament. The great thing is is how successful it was. It's only going to get better. So uh, how cool is that to see what's going to happen next year? But uh, um, for you, Angel, do you have any plugs or parting thoughts that you want to share with the group? Uh, no, honestly, let's just keep making Mali for the great community that it is. I, I love going to the Pacific Northwest. I'm trying to travel a little bit more to the US, but you guys are fucking expensive, expensive because you have like a shit ton of real money and not like the fake Canadian queen money that we have here up north. <laughs> <laughs> then I cross with that and it's worth nothing. Yeah, you just keep... Like I met a shit ton of like amazing people. I put faces to people that I only played online against. That was great. And yeah, I think that... We just need to keep dragging more people into this amazing game and keep improving as a community as much as we as much as we can. So thank you all. Cheers. Oh, that's awesome. I gotta give a shout out to you guys from the Pacific Northwest. I was super impressed. You had the largest I mean, we had a few more Texans, but not by much. Like that's Ambrose. <laughs> that's honestly that's one one hundred twenty percent Ambrose. Yeah, so shout out, shout to, out Ambrose. to Ambrose. Yeah, super yeah. nice guy too, man. I, I loved meeting him. Yeah. I have a question. I have a question for for Angel before we sign off. Is, are you going to be playing Summer too soon, or Summer in general? Hopefully, yeah. Summer and Ophelia were kind of my best first two masters because one was like too complicated to just like go through everything, and I got them. So I have a special place in in my heart for Summer. Although without Gidger, bro. It doesn't feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that uh, a bunch of you from the Pacific Northwest were mentioning you've got a few GTs coming up this spring. Uh, I know I went up there for the Railroad Avenue Rumble up in uh, Bellingham, Washington. I know y'all were talking about one in, I think, Calgary and one up in Vancouver, maybe. Yep. Yep. We have oh, wow. those lined up. I know you are all you're all still working on the details for those. But as soon as you have any information about those, pass that along to me because I will be shouting it from the rooftops because I had an absolute blast when I actually came out and played with y'all up in uh, Bellingham last April. It was so much fun. It was really nice. Absolutely. Oh, so I have a couple of things I'd like to promote real fast. Yes. Top Dog Design. Yeah, well, well, Top top Dog Design, we we plugged it every episode. But no, first of all, uh, some of you listeners out there may have noticed we took a little hiatus from releasing episodes of Students of Conflict. Uh, A big factor in that was I got super busy because a small terrain studio, Phoenix Foundry, had reached out to me to do a bunch of printable terrain design work for a Kickstarter they were gearing up for. Well, that Kickstarter will have launched shortly before we will be releasing this episode. Uh, We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Some quick info on it. It's called Galewin, and it's a 3D printable fantasy village made up of seven core buildings and a sweet airship, all with fully playable interiors. They're they're really sweet. Uh, I personally sculpted three buildings for this project. The Sunwind Tavern. Windmere Manor, and Windward Cottage. And I'm really proud of how they all turned out, so you should check it out. The guys from Phoenix Foundry, uh, Judd and Peter, have been an absolute joy to work with, and we're hoping to do more cool stuff together in the future, so keep an eye on that. But yeah, you should go and check out this Kickstarter and show them some love. Nice. Excellent. Secondly, so Lone Star Fodown, Malifaux GT, uh, this year... I mean, that's what we're talking about today, but it was the largest event in North America this year. Absolutely staggered this many players and just our second year doing it. And we have the date already scheduled for next year. We are, you know, have the uh, calendar slot blocked out at Dragon's Lair again. Uh, So October 11th through the 13th uh, is going to be... Lone Star Fodown Malfo GT number three. Let's go. We were the largest this year, you know. We're aiming to get even bigger next year. 
And yeah, so tickets aren't on sale yet, but I will be screaming it from the mountaintops as soon as they are. But, you know, save the date. There was a big surprise in that Duck made a fate deck for everybody, which is fantastic, by the way, uh, for this year. And uh, there might be some surprises for next year's one as well. I'm working on uh, another fate deck for next year. Just got to get enough done on it to get approval from weird. So nice. Excellent. Well, all right. Well, Angel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for coming down, making the trip. It was a pleasure thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Cheers. Salud. All right. Take care. y'all. Students of Conflict is brought to you by Top Dog Design. Check out topdogdesign.com for all of your Malfo terrain needs. Top Dog Design, 3D printable designs to enhance your tabletop. Students of Conflict is not an official product of Weird Miniatures LLC. All intellectual property belonging to Weird Miniatures is used with permission. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of entities they represent. Any content provided by our guests and or hosts are their opinion and not intended to malign any group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Woo! Just flip better. Just flip better. Students of conflict. Trademarked. Putting that on his shirt.